Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 61 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, I have invited Lori Harwood-Peterson to our podcast. Lori is the owner and director of Diagnostic Learning Services. Her and her husband have five offices across the state of Texas and test for ADHD and learning challenges in children. She spends every day helping kids get identified and then teaching parents how to help them. Lori has a bachelor's degree in special education. She spent eight years teaching students with learning disabilities in grades K through 12. She has a master's degree in special education with an emphasis on assessment and a second master's degree in professional counseling. Lori is also the mother to two boys. Welcome, Lori. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. I am so delighted to have you join us today. We are going to definitely talk about diagnostic testing and your business and how this all works. But before we do that, I'd love to talk about ADHD. Now, I know... You have ADHD, correct? I do. And I think you said your husband does, and it's it's all over your family. <laughs> it is. And my husband is, is um, we are both on our uh, second marriage. So we found each other after another marriage. So we, we combined our families and we are just two peas in a pod because we are, we are both a hot mess. Oh, no. So can you <laughs> tell us a little bit about your diagnosis, kind of starting with sure. when you were diagnosed? So I was diagnosed sometime in my 20s. Um, it was before I had kids. Um, and I, it's really a vague, I don't really remember it very well. I don't know what, I don't even remember what prompted me to finally go see somebody. But I went and saw a psychiatrist. She had me answer, you know, like paper, pencil, questionnaire kind of things. And by the time I left her office, I had a prescription for medication. But this was before I knew as much as I know today about ADHD. And so I thought, well, it makes sense. But the more I've worked in it and the more I've dealt with it and the more I've lived with it, the more I look back over my past and I realize, oh, gosh, this explains so much. And I feel like everything that I went through as a high school student, everything I experienced in college, everything I've experienced afterwards, it just makes sense now. And I love, love, love having these kids and these young adults in my office so that I can tell them, look, there is hope. You are not lazy. You are not stupid. You are not crazy. This has a name and 
your brain is wired different and you're going to be okay. And I really believe that that's why I do what I do. It, it all came around full circle for a reason. Isn't it interesting how you can think that you have all the pieces to your own ADHD puzzle all figured out. And then one day something, you know, you hear about something and you're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that, but now I remember. So for example, yesterday, you know, the ADHD Palooza is going on. Um, Oh my gosh, Laura, I totally forget who it is that that runs it, but she's lovely. Um, I'm so bad with names. And I was listening to one of her guests yesterday and the guest said something about Um, it was Caroline McGuire. You know, you remember, you know, your teacher kind of dumped out your desk in front of the whole school Uh or in front of the whole class. And I, I had totally forgotten about that. And I actually now remember I had a pen in there that I wanted to try and it was the teacher's pen and it was like a big deal. And I remember I took it when, you know, like on recess, because I just wanted to try it. And I was kind of writing with it. And she walked in and I threw it back into the desk. And then I was just petrified because she got up in front of the class and said, someone stole her pen. And so for like a week and a half, I kept looking for an opportunity to put it back. And I didn't. And when she dumped the desk, the pen was in there. (laughs) So not only did she think I was a slob, but she also thought I was a thief. Right. So I'm wow. wondering, <laughs> when you go back now with the benefit of hindsight, what are the, some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? Well, impulsivity is one. I, I, I am a rare, I feel like the girls with impulsivity issues are more rare. I mean, we see them in boys all the time and I think the girls just get overlooked, but I was super impulsive. I was a chatty Kathy. I would do stupid things. And then, you know, that feeling of like, why did I just do that? And not, and just thinking like, how dumb am I? Like, I I know I shouldn't do that, but I did it anyway. Going back through, really, I think the clearest piece for me, I mean, school, I was a disaster in school. um, So you didn't do well in school? I did terrible in school. I hated school. It was stupid. It was boring. (laughs) It was boring. It was stupid. I didn't know when I'd ever use it again. I had terrible grades. I was lazy. I didn't apply myself, you know, all the typical stuff. But then I got to college and I figured out, I got through, I found a sorority that I wanted to stay in. And so I made, I made my GPA to stay. I got to finally the classes about the stuff that I was interested in. And I had like a 4.0 in those classes. And then I got to work. And the whole time I'm like, why couldn't I have just like student taught? You're like, right. Would I really need all these classes to learn how to do this? My resume is embarrassing prior to starting my business because I'm not a rule follower. I think your rules don't make any sense. And why can't we just do it this way? And why? That's just stupid. It makes sense. My way makes more sense. Not that I'm always right, but I just always am able to find the lack of common sense in other people's rules, maybe. I don't know. But I would go from job to job because I would get bored. I didn't like it. And that's when I finally realized, you know, I'm so much better off working for myself. I just, A, I love what I do which for anybody with ADHD makes all the difference in the world. But I get to make my own rules. And you know what? Sometimes they're not great. And sometimes I mess up, but they're mine. And I've, you know, I've told my, I have a son who's a freshman in high school and he has terrible ADHD and he is a little, he's a mini me. And I've told him, I'm like, I really hope that whatever you decide to do with your life, with your career, that you find something that you can work for yourself because I'm already hearing that from him. Like he got a zero on a history assignment. It was Cornell notes. And I'm like, babe, why didn't you do this? Mom, it's stupid. I'm never going to use those. And I'm like, oh. Well, isn't that so true though? If we don't understand why we need to do something, if it doesn't make sense to us, we cannot, we won't do it. We just won't won't do it. 
And we will, we don't care what the repercussions are because we don't understand, you know, the consequence thing. It's about, right. it's all about instant gratification, right? Right now, I want to do something else and not this. And I don't care what the, that I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to get a zero or whatever. I, right now is all that matters. And so that it's just, but thankfully for my son, I guess, maybe, I don't know. I, I get it. I'm like, okay, well, as long as you bring that grade up, as long as you don't, you know, because you're a smart kid and you need to have an A. So whatever you got to do. Well, and you know what worries me is that, you know, when we went to school, I think it was a lot easier to get into college, first of all. Oh, my God. Whereas I today, it right it's getting harder and harder. <laughs> so is. I'm afraid that those kids are never going to have the opportunity to get into grad school because the statistics show that the more education we have, the better and better we do because we're finally studying something we're interested in. Go figure. Absolutely. You know, but my fear is that a lot of these kids today won't have the belief in themselves that yes. they can make it through college because that's, those are the kids I see. I see the ones that are so beat down yes. by the constant failure and the constant, you know, beat down by their parents and their teachers that they don't think they can make it in college. When they right. could. Right. Well, you know what? Hopefully they'll go be entrepreneurs because we need right. more of those today anyway. Amen. Right? Amen. <laughs> okay. So tell me then how you went from hating school to, well, obviously we know then you ended up with two masters because no. you loved what it was that you were working on finally. Exactly. How did that kind of metamorphosize into diagnostic testing? So I taught special education and I loved, you know, interestingly enough, when I was in high school, and this is probably the most not ADHD thing about me is that I knew in high school, I wanted to work with kids and I, child psychology was kind of where I was at in high school, which I've kind of ended up there. I went, I went around it about a different way, but I ended up knowing I wanted to do special education. I loved working with kids that learned differently. It just fascinated me. I am the most impatient person unless I have a child in front of me who's struggling and I could, I, my patients just um, increased by a million. I loved it, but I also wanted to know more. Like, why are you struggling? Why is this hard for you and not hard for this other kid? What, what is going on in your brain that's making you struggle? And so that is where I went back in the state of Texas. We have what's called educational diagnosticians. And I think we have them in California and well, there's like 10 states that have them maybe. In other states, they're called psychometrists. But basically you go back and it's through the school, uh, through your state education agency, you get certified to be a diagnostician. So I went back on my master's masters, took my education course, took my assessment courses, and then went back to the school district. And now I'm testing these kids to see if they qualify to get help through special education. And again, I loved it. I loved getting in there and cracking up in their head. But I got to tell you, the way the school does it made zero sense to me. Yeah. And all of the rules about what I could say and what I couldn't say didn't make any sense because at the end of the day, I just wanted to help this kid. And I wanted the parents to be able to know exactly what they need to do to help. But I was so limited on what I could recommend. And it was really all about whether they passed the state test or not, which I could care yes. less about. There seems to be less of an interest in really helping the child and more just kind of getting them through the system and making sure the school doesn't look bad. I mean, that's been my Absolutely. personal experience. <laughs> and I really do think on some level, they really do believe that they're helping these kids. Mm. But but and, and maybe if a handful of them, they are. And maybe your more severe kids, they are. But these kids that are kind of on that bubble that really don't need special education, they really just need good interventions, good accommodations, and you know maybe on, in, in the ADHD world, some medication. Those kids, I think, are getting way left behind because they're getting put in these resource classes. They're getting all their curriculum watered down. That's not what they need. And so I, my dad was an entrepreneur. He actually had a marketing company here in Dallas. And he was like, you know, 
you should really think about hanging out, you know, hanging your sign out. And I'm like, gosh, I would love to do that. And I was so blessed that I worked in a school district that let me kind of cut back days. And so I worked 80% one year. I worked 50% one year while I started started my practice. My dad helped me with my first round of marketing, which it was 15 years ago, almost 16 years ago. That just makes me laugh now to think about what I did then versus what I do now. And I just started testing kids privately. And oh my gosh, I love it. And every person that comes in here and works for me that comes from the schools, they're like, this is amazing because we get to really help kids. We get to really help families. And then I I got divorced and I didn't know if I was going to be able to make this work. Did I need to go back to the schools, which I actually interviewed and accepted a position. And within a week, I called him and said, I can't do it. Like, I just know I'm going to be miserable. And I met, and then I ended up meeting my current husband and he had just left the golf business. He was a golf professional and he has Oh, he's got terrible ADHD. And we, of course, hit it off swimmingly. And he's like, I love what you do. I want to be a part of it. And so he came in and my sister happened to be living in Houston. And she's like, hey, you should open up an office here. We were like, okay. And boom, you know, here we are five offices later. And we work very well together. I always tell everybody we have a lot of grace in our house because if he forgets to do something or makes a mistake, I'm like, yeah. I would have done that too. It's okay. We'll figure it out. Nobody gets mad. Nobody gets upset. Nobody yells. It's just, we understand. We get it. And that is awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. You know, you're not doing it on purpose. Absolutely. (laughs) Most of the time at least. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, Laurie, I mean, I always say that the best purposes give meaning to our past. And so do you see that the reason I'm so vested in this, the reason I don't, you know, I care so much is because those kids, that kid, that was me. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Those are my favorite ones to do when I've got a, when I've got a 10th grade student in here that hates math, you know, and, and things that's stupid. And, and I'm like, Oh, I promise you, you're going to get there. Look, I made it. And I'm living proof that this is not forever. You got to play the game. You got to learn how to play the game. You got to get through it, you know, and there's, there's going to be fun and happiness on the other side. And I think watching them say, you know, and, and so many kids will just that light bulb, like, okay, she gets me. I think, you know, she's got my parents understanding me, which is the big one. Cause I'm a huge advocate for the kids, you know, I, and I, you know, and we have a lot of really come to Jesus talks with parents that, you know, this is not, they're not choosing this. This is, trust me, nobody would choose this. They're doing the very well, best I- they can. I think this is also why we see, you know, quite a bit of RSD, because if oh, gosh, I think yes. the statistic was that by the age of 12, I say this all the time, by the age of 12, a child with ADHD has heard 20,000 more negative messages than a child without, mm-hmm. which is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell parents of my little ones. I'm like, if you nip this now, mm-hmm. you are alleviating the snowball that it becomes of anxiety and depression. You know, right now it's just attention. But if we don't do something about it now, by the time they get to middle school, now you're dealing with all these other things. And by the time you get to high school, now we're looking at kids who are going to self-medicate because they just feel so, something just feels so off that they don't know how to fix it. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And and they think that there is something wrong with them, that it's a character or a moral flaw, right? Or they're just not smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how their brain works. Okay. So- I went through neuropsychological testing twice with my son. And to be honest, I'm still not sure exactly what it is. Now, that's different. I mean, the whole thing is to me is so confusing. That's different than diagnostic testing. Is that correct? It's really not. It's really not. Neuropsych testing is exactly the same thing I do, but it's about who does it. 
So a psychologist, a psychiatrist, those people call it neuropsych testing. I call it psychoeducational testing. It's a full IQ cognitive test. It's a full achievement test. It's emotional behavioral surveys and whatnot. Now, I think that in my personal opinion, in my experience as well, I think that the psychologists and psychiatrists are are more clinical. So they focus more on the clinical-y stuff and they focus a lot more on the scores. I you know, so for, I'll give you an example. I had a student come in. He was ranked, we have really big high schools here in Texas and he was ranked like third or fourth. You have in really big everything in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? <laughs> At one of the local high schools, it's probably got 1500 kids in the senior class. He was ranked third. He is so smart. And he went and saw a psychologist for testing. And the psychologist did the testing and said, nope, no ADHD. And one of the reasons he said was because his working memory was above average. That's I'm my like, son. Yeah. Like, so what? So I had him come in. I talked to him. This poor kid is just, he's like, I cannot focus. And and nobody will mm-hmm. listen to me. They all think I'm just bored. And I'm like, well, you are bored, <laughs> but not because you're so smart because you just can't focus. And what I ended up trying to explain to the parents was like these working memory tests for a really smart kid, they've got compensatory skills. They've got strategies. They can yes. spit numbers backwards all day long. Tell them to do, do three things at home. Go to your room, get your jacket. Don't forget your shoes. Turn off the light. Not happening. Because they're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm being tested over this. I must come up with a strategy on how to remember these three things. They just look at you and go, oh, whatever. So in a testing situation, those kids blow processing speed out of the water because their brain's going to nothing and working memory off the charts. But tell them a story and ask them to tell it back to you. Can't remember anything they just heard. You know, that's so interesting. I I, <laughs> I have gone through these test scores of Marcus's, you know, with his, I, I think it was... He had a PhD. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, a, a psychologist, yeah. but really, really good. He had been doing it for 40 years. And I still didn't understand what it all meant. But hearing you talk about, I mean, this sounds exactly like Marcus, where he has incredibly quick processing speed in everything and very strong working memory, which is not what you normally see in ADHD. Or is that not true? Well, but you got to think about working memory. Working memory in the testing setting is much different than working memory in the real world. Because again, you're sitting across the table from somebody and I tell this child, okay, I'm going to give you a series of numbers and I want you to say them backwards. Well, he's got a strategy for that. And so because he's a problem solver, he can knock those numbers out like nobody's business. But in the real world, he can't do mental math to save his life or he can't follow three-step directions. Those other working memory tasks. It's really hard to assess working memory tasks in their natural environment, Right. You know, in the classroom setting, the teacher says, get out your books, grab your paper, don't forget to do, you know, whatever. I mean, most ADHD kids are like in another world and they don't get that. They don't hear it or they can't, they start, they hear it and then they start to do something and then they're like, "Uh, what did she say? So are you saying, Lori, then when they're being tested, um, the reason it's hard is because they, they do tend to be more focused and, you know, really paying attention because it's an unusual setting? Uh, Some of them, they have, they have strategies. They have, they can problem solve their way through the task. So like numbers backwards is a big one that, and, and don't get me wrong, not every child is like this, but I have kids who are really bright that when we do the numbers reversed, they keep repeating the numbers forward over and over again and just dropping off the last number. Like that's a really smart strategy that a lot of people don't really think of. Whereas somebody who may not be, who may have more of an average IQ or 
may be functioning a little bit lower in other areas, they can't think of that strategy. So they just sit there and try to remember these numbers and try to say them backwards and they can't, and that's a struggle. But for these really bright kids, these the, kind of what we'd call our, our, um, our two E kids, our twice exceptional kids, yeah, that kind of stuff, you cannot gauge well, A, you should never make a diagnosis based on one test or even one score, right? You need to look at the whole picture. And so just because they can do something in, in your office, in front of you, you know, that, that allows them to access problem-solving skills and other strategies doesn't mean that that translates into other things at home or at school. Mm. You got to look at the big picture. You got to look at where all the struggles are coming from. I had an adult in here last week, same exact thing. I mean, this guy had like a in the terms of IQ go, I think it was in the 130s. Just a really smart guy. He was in his 30s. And again, his processing speed was like 140 something because his brain goes 90 to nothing. Speed is not an issue for him. You know, there are people with ADHD, as you can tell by me, I talk 90 to nothing. <laughs> that's not normal. I mean, that's not, that's, that, that could be an ADHD thing, but there are also people with ADHD that move very slowly. Yes. And so absolutely. you can't just look at one thing. You got to look at everything. You got to look at the whole picture, the big picture. But I will tell you that the pattern is that the really bright kids, they rock those tests. So where does diagnostic testing fall in the ADHD picture? Just for people who have never even really heard of it. So the teacher says your child is struggling. You go to the pediatrician, you get diagnosed, then the child is sent to you. Or do you get parents who no. come to you first and then are referred to a doctor after? Do you get both? How does it work? So I will tell you that it depends on the pediatrician. Most parents come to us first. Some will go to their pediatrician, and I will tell you that we have a lot of pediatricians that refer back to us because they want this full battery of testing. Mm -hmm. you fill, so you go to your pediatrician, and he says, okay, do the Vanderbilt, you know, send it to the teacher, you fill it out, boom, you've got ADHD. Well, guess what? Kids don't focus for a lot of reasons. And so if a kid is in class and they don't look like they're focused, and a teacher checks, you know, doesn't pay attention, doesn't follow directions, whatever, well, Why? right? Is it an auditory processing issue? Do they not understand the concepts? Do they have dyslexia? I've seen kids with visual processing issues get nabbed as ADHD when it has nothing to do with that. So kids can't focus for lots of reasons. Of course, I have ADHD, but I mean, if you put somebody in a in a Latin class right now, like if unless you're just really interested in it, you're not going to pay attention because you don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. So I think doctors have gotten a lot better about knowing that there's more to it and they need that they need a comprehensive evaluation to rule out any other reason why this kid might not be focusing so that they can make sure they're calling it what it is. And I think that's how the overdiagnosis thing happened because those surveys, well, they, I mean, they just ask if they're paying attention or not. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, no. Okay. Well, why? It doesn't ever ask that. So I think that doctors appreciate because we then send our, because we obviously, I'm, I'm not an MD, I can't prescribe medication. So we have parents take our information back to their pediatrician to then manage the medication or their psychiatrist, whoever they want to use. So getting diagnosed through you mm -hmm. is the same in terms of a psychiatrist can look at that. It's the same as being diagnosed by you know a doctor or a psychologist. A psychiatrist can look at it and prescribe medication based Absolutely. on what you do. Yep. And a pediatricians do. Schools provide 504 support. With our reports, okay. absolutely. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be. And that is a huge misconception, especially in our state because we have the whole educational diagnostician thing. But, you know, if you think about who is qualified to diagnose it, because we're looking at behaviors. So I know what this child looks like in a classroom setting. I've been there. I taught these kids. 
you know, I know. And so I feel like our, what I do is very, whereas a psychologist and a psychiatrist, they're on the clinical piece. I'm more on the educational piece. My whole focus, for lack of a better term, is about how this is going to impact you educationally, whether that be getting you accommodations on the SAT, whether it be getting you help in school, but it's also going to help you get, if we get medication um, and we can send you that way as well. But we're ruling out other things. I've had kids that have come in that parents have thought it's attention and we find out it's something else. So, you know, it's it's good to make sure that you're calling it what it is. So when my son was diagnosed, actually, we started at nine and we spent thousands of dollars on this visual spatial thing at the, you know, eye doctors, mm-hmm. did absolutely nothing. We we met with a, I think for about six months, my, my son met with a, um, oh my gosh, who, what is the person, occupational therapist? Right. That didn't really do much of anything. Although she did look at me and say, well, you're moving a lot too. And I didn't know what that meant at the time because okay. I, uh, he hadn't been diagnosed. So I hadn't been diagnosed, okay, that's funny. but we went through all these things. And it wasn't until I brought someone in who knew ADHD and knew all kinds of other learning issues. And she looked at him and said, go get him tested. I would have never thought to get him tested for anything. So the first time we had a neuropsych evaluation, and they used the Wexler intelligence scales. Right. The second time, they tested using Woodcock-Johnson battery. Okay. And the second testing was so much more helpful because it really gave us and gave him an opportunity to see what his strengths were. He hated math. You know, up until fourth grade, mm-hmm. he loved it. From And he's one of those kids that calculates really fast in his brain. He's like mm-hmm. a calculator, but he hated math. And we could never understand how can you hate math when you're, you know, you have so much fluency. Fluency right. is definitely a strength in math. Right. And he got his test scores back. And most of them in math were like in the 98th percentile. Uh-huh. And so that's when I then went back to his school and started pushing. This is not okay. You know, he is completely capable. So my question for you is clearly there was one test that didn't help at all. Certainly didn't help us as parents to understand him. And it didn't help him understand himself. And then there was the second test that was really helpful. Do you use the, you know, do you use those kinds of tests or is it something completely different that you evaluate exactly these children? What we use, and I will tell you that my bet is, is that when you had it done the first time, the person that did it did not do a good job of explaining because they're the, they test the same thing. Those two tests test exactly the same thing. They do. They do. But the way that it's explained, we have so many parents that come to us and they're like, we've been tested. We don't know what any of this means because nobody takes the time to really explain it, make it applicable. They throw some numbers at you and say, look, his processing speed is this. What does that mean? I don't know. And so my my gut is, is that the, per- the second person you had just did a much better job of explaining it to you and making it applicable, helping you understand it, knowing what to do with it. The first person was more just like, here's your scores and good luck with this. <laughs> well, and I, I also think that when, you know, the Wexler test, which was the first one, I don't think it was in as much detail. So I'm wondering if they didn't give the full battery of, you know, that test. That's also very possible too. The Woodcock-Johnson is a little bit more thorough. It's got one or two more areas that are assessed, but depending on age, that test to me is very dry. It's boring, but it's, it's hard. It's just, there's a lot of directions. And today 
the Wexler is given on the iPads, which for a young kid is awesome because they see those iPads and they're like, oh, I'm all in, right? I'm going to give you my, I love playing on it. They're excited. Um, so that is a huge benefit to the, to the Wexler. But for those middle school and high school kids, we give a lot of them the Woodcock Johnson. And, and for me, it's more about their age, what they're going to be using it for. And, and, you know, you can give that Woodcock Johnson to someone starting at age three, but I would never do that because what a beating that would be for all of us. <laughs> um, okay. So those are the two tests. There, there's no um, other test. Those there, are the- there are, there's a cut. There's like the Kaufman. There are other tests. Those are the, the two big two that most people mm-hmm. use. Um, we have mm-hmm. a Kaufman assessment battery, which is another cognitive test that we use. And a lot of people intermix, you know, they'll use a little bit from this one and a little bit from this one just because they like the way it tests that area or because they want to get, like I said, the Wechsler doesn't cover all areas of processing. It doesn't have long-term memory or not one that most people use. So a lot of times they'll go get that from like the Woodcock Johnson. Okay. So how much does testing cost in Texas? (laughs) So in Texas, that's a great question. So we, um, so again, remember, I don't have a business background. I have an education background and I'm a helper. And so since I started my business, I've always wanted to offer a fee that I felt like was fair. Um, but also make it, you know, you can't be so cheap that people be like, well, you clearly aren't, don't have any idea what you're doing. You're right. You must be doing right. not enough. So we've tried to stay competitive, but lower, I would say the going rate, if you call around our area or around the state, you're looking at anywhere from 1500 to 2,500. We mm-hmm. charge 1295 for the full eval stop start to finish. Yeah. That, that sounds very, very reasonable when you consider what that could mean to a child for the rest of their life. Well, and like I tell parents, you know, you're spending all this money on tutoring and all, you know, you don't even know if you're yeah. doing the right stuff. Sport. You're spinning your wheels. And so you want to make sure that this will at least let you know this is exactly what he needs and you have a plan. You're not just throwing everything at it, but the kitchen sink, you know, you're not just, well, let's try this. Let's go here. Let, you know, let's figure out exactly what the problem is. So then you have a plan and you know, you're, it's just more efficient. So, Let's say a parent is listening to this mm-hmm. and, you know, they're not sure what it is. They think it's ADHD, but they're not sure. What are the signs that they should look for? And if they see them, should really consider testing? You know, I, I think the big ones, and again, it depends on the age and where they're at. But, you know, if they're getting in trouble for behaviors, if they're forgetting to turn in work, if they're not understanding concepts, to me, the big thing is when it starts to interfere academically or emotionally, right? Um, if they're getting in trouble in school for not paying attention, for for impulsive-like behaviors, for talking all the time, for whatever, those are the th- times that you want to intervene because you don't want it to become, I'm a bad kid, you know, I'm always in trouble, um, no one wants to be my friend, those kinds of things. And then if academically they're going to school all day and then they come home to do homework and they don't understand the homework, then you want to know, is, are they not paying attention or are they not understanding? You know, that, that, that's kind of when we have to do the differential. Like, is this a learning issue or an attention issue? Because attention or the lack thereof will cause academic gaps. And so if someone's struggling in math in middle school, well, a lot of times that's because they really haven't been there for all the instruction for the last however many years because they check out, they, they lose interest. Um, so there's holes and you can't build on math is so cyclical. It just builds on itself. That is so true. I mean, you miss one part, you're screwed the rest of the way through. And that is where I see my ADHD kids. Math is 
90% of the time a struggle and then reading comprehension. Like they read, they're like, I read it and I don't know what I read. And a lot of times those kids will come in for like a dyslexia evaluation because they just keep saying reading, reading, reading. Well, they read Mm -hmm. fine, but they're just reading words, right? Nothing's digesting. And so they could read something 10 times. And so those kids too are the ones that take a review sheet and sit in their room and read it 50 times and are like, okay, well, I studied for this test. Okay, well, yeah, but did you understand any of it? You know, did you digest it? And Lori, that's exactly what we would see with my son, which was so, I mean, he was such a dichotomy. So (laughs) he couldn't seem to read what he needed to read for school, but he was friggin' reading all the time. He knew everything about politics. And if there's, you know, a certain sport that he loved or anything he was interested in, he was reading all the time. And the fact that he was telling me, I can't read. I'm looking at him saying, but you're reading all the time. Yes, you, you can. Know, what he wanted. Right, right. And that's the thing most parents will say when we talk about attention. Well, he can do Legos all day long. And I'm like, mm-hmm. right, because it's fun. It doesn't, it stimulates that chemical in his brain so that he can do it all day long. But give him, you know, a math problem or give him, tell him to go clean his room, not happening, right? No stimulation there, zero. And parents have a very they all think that, well, they can do this. Well, right. Because they like it. It's enjoyable. It's interesting. And then you always get the parent that says, well, yeah, but aren't we all like that? Nobody likes to do boring stuff. Absolutely. You're right. But people with ADHD, because it's a chemical thing, right? There's not enough of that chemical to give us that, that ability to sort of power through it and to understand. And all those executive functioning skills to help us understand that this is something I have to do. I'm just going to power through it. I'm going to do my very best. And when I, I wish that I had always had that way of thinking, but I didn't. I'd be like, I'm not doing this. It's boring. Put it away. And, and so it's helping parents understand there's still a difference. You know, I hear you explaining all this and I think, oh my gosh, I wish we would have had you from the very beginning. <laughs> I, so I suspect that when you are diagnosing kids, let's say for ADHD, because that's what we're talking about here, are the parents and kids just completely relieved because, you know, you're just so positive about it. You know, just get through school. You're super smart. Look at all this. Just get through school and get to the next level and you're going to do better and better. Yes, they really are. The kids more to me than the parents. Sometimes the parents, it takes a little time because they're, they get hung up on the label thing, especially when they didn't come in expecting the ADHD. They can't yeah. think it was a reading thing or whatever. But by the time they leave here, everybody's on board. They're happy. They're good because I won't let them leave until they are, um, until I know that they really understand it. And I give them a copy. My favorite book is the Driven to Distraction book. So I keep copies on hand that I hand out to parents all the time. But the kids, my favorite thing, I mean, I got lots of favorite things, but when I've got a student in here and I don't do as much of the testing anymore because we're so busy, I do more of the reports and the meeting with parents. But when I have a student in here and I can talk to them and say, look, I really think, you know, before they ever leave here, I really think that this is an attention thing. And I, you know, do you notice that? We'll kind of talk about it like, you know, like it's our secret code. Um, When they come back for the follow-up a week or two later, I'll ask them you know, and they'll say, oh, I've noticed this week, I do check out. Like all of a sudden they're so cognizant of it and they're so, oh, there's somebody banging in my back parking lot. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) They're building something back here. Go figure. Um, But they'll be the relief. They'll say, I, and I will ask them, like, do you feel a little bit better now? Do you feel like, and they're like, yes. I mean, you can see it in their face, right? Even just their, their person, their way they carry themselves is different. And I, I love that. I love that they're now thinking differently. Yes. It's that awareness, right? Uh That they, they are starting to figure out how their brain works. Yeah, Uh, it's amazing. 
It gives me goosebumps. Okay, so we have a Facebook group, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, and I asked in the group if anybody had any questions for you. And Robin Hansen asked, how does testing for giftedness and ADHD differ from standard ADHD testing? So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. The way we do it, it doesn't because we do a full evaluation. So if you've got to, if we were going to, if we're going to do an IQ test basically, right, as part of our ADHD evaluation, by the way, I never, ever tell parents we're doing an IQ test because it's not about the IQ to me. It's more about all those processing skills that make up your IQ. Can I stop you for a second, Lori? So, and, and I'm always going back to my son. I apologize, You're but fine. that's my frame of reference. Right. For my son, they were never able to give him an IQ test because there was such a dichotomy between, you know, certain things like, well, everything, and then the visual, spatial, and auditory processing. So those scores were so low that they were, you know, they said to us, there's no point in in even giving him an IQ test. Now, they may have given it to him. I don't know. And then looked at it and said, oh, my God. (laughs) So the Wechsler and the Woodcock-Johnson, those are IQ tests. So if they told us that, does that mean that they got a number, but because any, the other ones say they that? Don't have any, they don't feel like it's an accurate reflection of his ability because his scores are so, there's so much diversity in his scores. Mm. And they feel like the probably the inattention, because that happens all the time. And I tell parents, look, this score is low because they weren't focused, right? They struggle so much with their focus and attention that they couldn't even do these tasks, Mm-hmm. What I always mm-hmm. tell parents is that if they decide to do medication, which I highly encourage, and they want to come back once they get the medication all leveled out and they're happy with it, if they want to come back, I'll redo a couple of those subtests so that they can see the before and after. And it just gives them some peace of mind that, yeah, their their child is not that low, right? That it really was the attention causing that that score to be so low. But all that to say back to the original question, sorry, hello get off topic. The the gifted for us, the giftedness testing would be part. I mean, we will tell parents when we do a full evaluation that your child has ADHD, but they're also wickedly smart. Um, and should you should also look into the GT program at your school. Now, if we just do a GT, even if someone just comes in and says, I just want a GT evaluation. Wait, what's a, a GT? What's a GT? Gifted talented. Sorry. Gifted, oh, okay. Gifted. Okay. We will do a full IQ test. I also, when I'm doing a, if somebody wants a gifted evaluation, I do a reading evaluation, just a reading comprehension and a math problem solving, because I like for them to see where they fall academically, not just cognitively with those skills. But there are many times we do those and we find a child that's got some attention issues. And I'll ask the parent, you know, I know you're just here for a gifted test, but do you want to maybe just pursue this? We could do a little bit more and we can kind of either rule that out or rule it in. But we're seeing a lot of, you know, off task kind of behaviors. Now, in in a traditional setting, you know, if the pediatrician's doing the ADHD evaluation, then you don't ever find out if a child's gifted. You just know where they can and can't focus. So, you know, I think it depends on who's, who's doing it. But for us, that all falls under the same kind of test. Okay. So it would be the same test. It would be the same. The same testing. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then we had Shannon N. who asked or said, can you talk about the disproportionate number of brown and black girls that are misdiagnosed and the lack of research? We all know there is little research for ADHD and women. The figure is even more staggering for people of color. It makes the testing process so difficult and long. And then she talks about how she brought her daughter to the doctor before she was two because she knew something was different and she was brushed off for years, literally years. Her first diagnosis was achieved at six years old, ADHD and ODD. 
We just got a new one, though, ADHD, ASD, and dysgraphia. She just turned eight. And I really had to hunt for a person that understood how much bias and discrimination exist. Well, I agree with you on that. Um, here's what I will tell you is that two is really hard to diagnose anybody at the age of two because developmentally kids develop at different different ranges, different paces. And all of the testing that we do is standardized to compare you against other kids your same age. So unless your your behaviors are so outside and, and anything really before the age of five is very hard because there is such a variance of behaviors and what's expected at those age levels when we're talking about behavior. At one point in time, we used to not diagnose ADHD before the age of six. My 15-year-old, I waited until his sixth birthday because the psychologist that I worked with had said, you know, we really, it should, because something about the diagnostic criteria at that time, it said it, the symptoms had to be recognized prior to age six. And I can't remember, but anyway, I find it very hard to diagnose kids younger than five. So getting it at age six is really, I to me, is still great. It's still young. You're still able to intervene. And it, I think that is huge. Same with dysgraphia, right? I think that that is one that's very underdiagnosed and people chalk up to lazy and another one of those that makes me crazy, but it's also very common with kids with ADHD. They're very comorbid. And dysgraphia is is really poor handwriting, correct? Really poor handwriting and the inability, not just because you rush through it. As far as the disparity among, you know, different different races, I think there's lots of reasons for that. And, you know, one I see, especially, you know, it can be cultural. You know, when we have families from that are that are Asian families or um, Indian families, we have a lot of we have a, we are very multicultural in in our area. Um, those families they don't want that's um, culturally that's looked upon as very negative. Like the parents have failed in some way. So when I those families come in, they do not like to hear that they're. While they want to know, they want help, they don't necessarily want to hear there's something wrong and that the labels bother them and they have a very negative, it's, it's a very, so they don't always seek that out. I also think that this testing's not cheap. Yeah. It's not covered by insurance, you know, so that's going to have an impact. But I do think that there is, I mean, I totally agree. Um, and I don't necessarily think the tests are biased. Well, I that's what I was going to ask. tester bias. <laughs> oh, Okay. Some will say, now don't get me wrong, some people will say that some of the tests, like the Wechsler is more verbally loaded or, I mean, there's all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, again, you're never just using one test. You've got to look at the whole picture. Okay. And so I think it does rely more on who does the testing and then the test that you use. Okay. So do you feel, Lori, that um, your ADHD makes you better at what you do? I think my ADHD allows me to have that compassion for the people that I'm here with. And, and again, I mean, we're not, I don't just see kids. We work with a lot of adults. You'd be amazed at the number of adults that want testing for learning disabilities or ADHD. Um, so, but I do feel like it gives me a lot more compassion for that and, and understanding. And I think it, it, I hope to be maybe a role model for some of the, the people that we test and work with that, look, you know, I struggled and I turned out okay. I mean, I went through a lot to get here, but I'm here and I'm, I'm killing it, right? Like I feel I'm very happy. I'm very proud of myself. I work very inefficiently. And so I do think at times it it does hurt, right? I mean, I, I have trouble with systems. I'm a terrible procrastinator. Um, I mean, didn't I just send you my stuff last night? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, you're well, not you're not abnormal in that. <laughs> I okay, always get stuff the last minute here. Okay, good. But I feel like I've learned how to surround myself with people who 
are better at those things. And I think that, I think for an ADHD person and probably my advice to most adults out there with ADHD is to surround yourself, understand where your weaknesses are and find people who have those as strengths and, and be friends with them, work with them, you know, let them help you because you you have to accept that you can't, nobody can be good at everything, right? And to have that uh, that self-awareness of, you know what, this is just not something I'm good at. Instead of trying to do it over and over again until you beat yourself up, let someone help you. Get someone that can do it for you. And so I do believe that that has been a positive, that I've, I've figured out the things that I'm not good at. Um, and I'm okay with that. But I have people that are. And so, so you know, um, but it took, socially, I, think I learned it longer. <laughs> yeah. So socially... It seems to me, and I mean, I've, I've just only met you here, but it seems to me that that's one of your fortes. Is that true? Like you're very good with people. I am very good with people, but I also really like my alone time. Okay. I like my Lori time, but I am good with people, but I wouldn't say that I've got like a gazillion friends and I'm out doing social stuff all the time. I think as I've gotten older and I spend more time at work and with my husband and my kids, I actually feel like my social circle has shrunk significantly and divorce will do that to you too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, Sarah. but I do, I think, I think that, again, I think it's all about the fact that I'm just passionate about what I do. And what about, you had mentioned um, early on that um, you were very impulsive. Well, I always think of impulsivity as, and I think it was Edward Hallowell who said, impulsivity is creativity gone right. <laughs> so <Candy>. it's, <laughs> so I'm wondering, do you feel number one, that you're creative and does your creativity come into play when you're dealing with these kids and with their parents? And my thought is that, you know, you can just put all kinds of, you get all these different ideas and you can put them all together into something that actually makes sense that someone that didn't have ADHD that was doing what you're doing might not get there. Yes. I absolutely think, I think, and I, I look at creativity because when I think of creativity, I think of, I don't know why I think of like art, which is not my thing, but I'm an outside of the box thinker. I look at the big picture. I think I look at things very differently than other people that do what I do. I'm also not a rule follower, which is an ADHD thing, but I think it helps me in this, in this situation because so many kids that go through testing in their school, all of those teachers have whatever personality style it is that you're just a rule follower and you have to fit into this box. Well, guess what? it's when you're talking about kids and learning and all that, 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 that really doesn't work. Um, <laughs> so I like to look at the big picture and sometimes the way I look at things and the way I analyze things aren't what most people would do, but they make a lot of sense. I mean, and when, and when I talk to a parent or even talk to another professional, they're like, wow, you're right. You know, that really does make sense. So I absolutely think I'm very unique in how I do how, not just how we do the testing, but how I analyze the results and how I give recommendations. I'm impulsive and I do think that does pay off because let me tell you, there is no dancing around a decision. I'm like, let's just do it and go. And I'm a risk taker, which I think comes along with that impulsivity, which I think has absolutely paid off for me in the long run because you can't be successful in business if you're not willing to take a risk. And it's, while I am uh, someone in, in business for myself, I don't even think about what I do as a business, which is crazy because- I don't know. I love what I do. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I struggle with saying business, but at the end of the day it is. And I feel like my, my ability to make good decisions, ask for help when I need it and think outside the box um, and take risks heavily. And I do think that all comes from my ADHD. Great. So you believe that you are successful because of your ADHD, not in spite of it. Absolutely. What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Like if you had to think of, you know, just what would come to the top of your mind? 
understand it. Mm. You got to understand it. Um, you got to, you know, you have to understand why you are, why you do the things you do and then give yourself grace for them. And again, just like I said earlier, the things that you know you're not good at, find people that are. And I'm a huge proponent of ADHD coaching, by the way. Um, I have been spending a, a lot of time lately trying to reach out to ADHD coaches across the country, really, um, because every student that I see that we test, I feel like that to me, that ex those executive functions, I never had coaching. My medication is amazing. I get a lot done, but executive functioning wise, I could use some help. And so I think that's kind of that piece of, of understanding your weaknesses, right? Having people that can help you and help give you strategies. And if they're good at those things, even letting people do it for you, but but it, to me, it's just understanding it. I mean, and I tell parents all the time, even at a very young age, you need to start having conversations with your child so they understand their brain. I will say my, my ninth grader, he gets ADHD. And I love that. I love that he can talk about it intelligently and understand why he does some of the things he does. And he never beats himself up for it. And that is, is huge. Is he really open about it? He's very open about it. I love to hear that. I <laughs> love it. I'm so proud. I'm such a proud mom. Absolutely. I mean, I hear parents quite a bit actually make comments that, oh, they can't tell anybody, you know, certainly in our group, right? They don't want anybody to know. And I'm like, you are shrouding this child in shame, you know? It or just the ones that don't even want to tell their kids. Well, we're not going to tell. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you have kids that are diagnosed and the parents won't tell the kids? Mm -hmm. The younger ones, yep. They say that, well, I, obviously by the time they leave here, I've got them convinced that they are going to talk to their child. But yeah, right. their Good. response is, oh, well, we just, we're not going to tell them. So like they'll come in and if the oh. child's anywhere near, we have to whisper. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not how we're doing this. Um, because they are, they're, they they feel like their child's going to think that they're, because they don't understand ADHD, Right. Yeah. So again, then, then we go through the whole piece about you have to educate yourself and understand this is a, this actually could be a really good thing. You know, this is, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, and you probably have what your child has anyway. One of you do. 99% of the time I'm looking. Matter of fact, I had a parent come in last, like a couple weeks ago, a husband and wife, and they were not prepared for the ADHD diagnosis. But the minute we sat down, the dad was shaking his leg the entire time, the entire time. <laughs> finally, I looked at him. I'm like, okay, really? Since you sat down, you have not stopped moving. Tell me how this is a surprise to you. You know, and then we all kind of laughed and the parents were like, well, you're right. You know, he does have someone that works for him that's super, you know, organized and helps him with all of I'm like, hello, <laughs> the apple does not fall Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. So Lori, before I let you go, um, do you have an ADHD workaround that you want to share with us? I love my bullet journal. Oh, really? Bullet journal. I really do. Now, do I use it every day? No, but I love it. I love that I have so many different lists in there of things that I need to keep up with. And I, I love it. I got to tell so you. So tell me, I, I don't understand the bullet journal. I get that the guy who started it has ADHD. I keep looking at it. What is it about the bullet journal that works so much better than anything else? It's a task list. And that is what I found. I tried every planner under the sun, but at the yeah. end of the day, I, I didn't care about the dates so much as I just needed a place to keep my to-do list. And that's really what it is. It is an organized to-do list. And that, it's got a place for stuff that you need to get done this month stuff you need to get done this week, stuff you need to get done today. And it helps you. And then you, when you don't move, when you don't get something done, you just carry it forward to the next day. It is, 
and, and, and do not go out and look at the Pinterest bullet journals because you will blow your mind and you will become completely overwhelmed and you will never do it because they have them all decorated and painted and ridiculousness. Mine is so boring and it's pencil and it's these lists that are sometimes neat, sometimes not neat, but I love it. I, it absolutely has become like, it's my thing. And I tell every parent that comes in here, I'm like, try the bullet journal. Because it's so can I ask you, um, where did you learn about it? Was there some article you read about it? Because every time I read about it, like you just said, it looks so involved and I'm a, you know, recovering perfectionist. So I can just imagine how many hours I would spend. Where did you learn how to do it? I think, well, I think I read about it on a Facebook post. Um, in mm-hmm. one of my other groups that, for entrepreneurs about planners. Uh-huh. And so I went to the bullet journal website and there's like a five minute video that the guy does that is like the bare bones basic of how to set it up. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. And I have not watched any other videos since because the minute I heard that it was on Pinterest, I'm like, oh, that's trouble. And then I'm like, <laughs> there is a bullet journal Facebook group, but I, I don't really oh, talk yeah, about it because they do talk about decorating and all that. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. But if you watch that five minute bare bones video on the bullet journal website, I'm telling you, I was like, that is, why didn't I think of that? That's genius. And I, I got to say, I've just kept it at that level. I've kept it at that most bare bones, basic level. And I love it. And it really, okay. Check, I, I'm going to off your list, right? Right. I'm going to put that five minute video in the show notes so people can go take a look at it and I'm going to try it again. Good. Um, Lori, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You are a total inspiration. And again, oh, thank you. I really wish that I had met you at the beginning of our ADHD journal. Well, I mean, journey, not journal. Now you got me on the bullet journal. Well, please know that so, I'm happy to look over any, if, if, if somebody has testing and they just want me to put my eyes on it and give you my two cents, I will wow. along. So I love, I love, love helping. So if you ever want me to- I may take you up on that. So really would be- where can people find you if they want to know more about you, your business, what you do? So our website is just diagnostic-learning.com. We also have some online testing that I didn't really talk about, but that's okay. It's e-diagnostic-learning with no dash.com. But diagnostic-learning is our main site. It has really all about what we do on there. There's some great information. There's some really outdated videos of me, but still same information. Um, okay. And that's, yeah, that's the best place to find Great. We'll, that, we'll have those in the show notes as well. It's diagno, diagnostic-learning.com. That's it. And then e-diagnostic-learning.com for, um, you said there's some online testing. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you again, Lori, so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. So that's what I have for you for this week. As always, you are listening to ADHD for Smart Ass Women. If you like this episode with Lori, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. And guess what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As I say all the time, for me, they're like those little gold stars we used to get on our work when we were kids in school. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me by email at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. 
If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.